Welcome to the Joint Dynamics Intelligent Movement Series podcast, an ongoing discussion with experts in the fields of health, fitness, and performance, sharing the science and their tips and tricks that have the goal of taking your health from where you are to where you want it to be. Welcome back to the Joint Dynamics Podcast. My name's Andrew Cox. I'm one of the owners and directors here at Joint Dynamics. And today I'm sitting with the unicorn. So uh, James Butterfield is our guest today. So James studied physiotherapy in the UK and then went on, here's where the unicorn part comes out, went on to do his master's in strength and conditioning at St. Mary's in Twickenham. He has worked with teenage athletes and, and younger and then from working with athletes in an international school in Thailand for a few years, moved out to Hong Kong, worked in the Hong Kong Institute of Sport, working in sports development in many sports that we'll get into. And today that'll be the, the crux of our topic, I guess we could say. We're going to talk about high school age and beyond uh, athletic development for kids. How are you, mate? Welcome. Good. Yeah, I'm glad to finally be on. It's great. Time. Well, just I know, time. I got asked. I got um, asked. Unfortunately for us here at Joint Dynamics, James, James plays an integral role in our rehabilitation team here and also athletic development, strength and conditioning. Unfortunately for us, James is moving on to Dubai, where we wish him all the best. Enough so that he goes, well, Hong Kong is so great, Joint Dynamics is so great, you know what, I'm going to come back because we can travel now. That's If you're out there, uh, fairies in the journey, then respond to my wish, please. <laughs> Okay, James, James, thanks for joining me. How are you today, mate? Yeah, good. It's a bit, bit soggy outside. It is a bit soggy outside. Uh, that means everyone comes inside into the gym, so. Hey, can you take us through your journey? So you're going to physical therapy. You're, you're studying physiotherapy at university. Yeah. Along the way, I'm assuming that you're playing in the gym, working, working out in the gym, playing sport. You finish your degree in physiotherapy, and what happens? Well, so my final... Uh, when you go through your physiotherapy degree, part of the final year is placement. So you go on placement and it's like an internship uh, style where, you know, it's part of your course, you have mentors, etc. And I was lucky enough to do one of mine at Leeds United. So during that time, up until that time, I was like, oh yeah, it'd be great to work in sport. I'm very sporty and I, I love uh, working with athletes. Um, however, to that point, I had only played sport myself. I wasn't experienced in working with athletes at all and then that experience gave me tunnel vision in that time to think oh this is what I want to do I want to work in sport so as soon as I finished my degree I, I went and found whatever internship or voluntary work that I could do um, and then I was lucky enough to find a club called MK Dons who had let me come in as part of their uh, like scholarship or like post-grad um, Another football team, Leeds United football, and then MK uh, Dons is a yeah, it's a, at the time a League One team. Uh, in, in come on, MK Dons. Yeah, uh, they were great. It was, I had a fantastic time. So I worked there voluntarily for a year, and then they hired me um, as an academy physio. And then um, about a year after that, I got the opportunity to move to Thailand to work with um, a, a big Thai football team. So I took that opportunity and went out there um, to do that. And then during the process, what I really enjoyed the most was the uh, middle to end stage rehab. So that's all the past the acute phase, which I enjoyed as well, but I really had an interest for the late stage uh, rehab. 
So, you know, the stuff in the gym, the stuff on the field, getting that athlete back to where they were before or beyond so that they can go yeah, and compete yeah. again. Um, so that kind of sparked my interest. And then that's why I went on to study strength and conditioning. And I did that part time uh, during when I, you mentioned working at the international school. I did that during that time. Um, and then the job here at the Institute was as a strength and conditioning coach. And so I kind of now have married those two professions and I really enjoy working with both, both athletes who aren't injured and athletes who are recently injured and want to get back to somewhere um, and everything in between that, including post-surgery. So, um, yeah, that's kind of, kind of the journey. And there are lots of gray areas between physiotherapy and strength and conditioning. Mm. Um, so I actually think it's been a really positive experience to gain an understanding of both. Yeah, often we don't think about that. Lifting heavy weights is therapy. If you want to get back on the, pick the sport that you want to play, let's say with the one that you did a lot of work with, football, soccer in Australia, football from where you're from. Um, if I could increase the amount of tolerance that your body can take when you run and change directions via, let's say, lifting heavy weights, yeah. um, then that's therapy, isn't it? And often yeah. we, we forget about that, don't we? we? We sort of, everyone, you know, over here we pigeonhole physical therapy, physiotherapy. This dude's James is using his thumbs, his hands, and he's doing light weights. Maybe he's doing abandoned work. Mm-hmm. Yep. But also part of your role, in, no matter if you are a physiotherapist or a, or a rehabilitation specialist or an athletic development or a strength conditioning coach, yep. is getting the right amount of load in at the right time to drive a stimulus to get the person back to just being able to play games without thinking about, am I going to hurt myself again? Yeah, yeah. and rehab, I mean, uh, rehab is essentially training in the presence of an injury. So. It's, you know, it's, it's still, we train, but with rehab, it's just, there's an injury there and something else we need to think about. Um, but that loading part is obviously is key. And recently, so we all know that like the rice guidelines in terms of injury. Yeah. Rest, ice, compression, elevation. Yeah, yeah. So um, a few years ago, that then shifted in a direction to police, which is protect, optimally load, and then um, ice, compression, elevation. So that optimal loading all stages from the day of the injury all the way until it, it, it's not even the, the the kind of principle is even with non-injured athletes and, and people too so you still want to optimally load you can't sit in quarantine for three weeks and then run at 50k that's not yeah. that's not optimal you know we're going to break down so that understanding of that you know and as you say it's therapy too yeah and so to that point we could say absence of load like you just said sitting and not doing anything will also drive an adaptation. Everything, you know, the body adapts to the stress or the stimulus that you place upon it and the nutrients that you feed it. And if the the stimulus is doing nothing, then that's yeah. going to drive an adaptation in the direction that you don't want. Yeah. So that optimal loading protocols are really important. So rest should be seen as a prescription. So you prescribe rest just as you prescribe any exercise or any weight. So, you know, if you think about it in, in that sense... So you, you may get someone who where rest is the the best way to to recover or or to or to train in that train in that part of the training block mm. but you use it as a prescription it's not um rest and see if it gets better it's okay rest maybe that body part but we're still going to work another body part yeah you know so it doesn't it doesn't stop before we sense. before we really turn the lens to youth athletic development can we talk about your, your master's degree? So you went into strength and conditioning master's degree after doing your, your degree in physiotherapy. Was there something along the way when you were doing that, that master's degree in strength and conditioning where you went, 
Well, I never thought I would have learned that because you'd lifted weights plenty before. You'd worked with athletes plenty before and you were doing it while you were doing your, your degree. Yeah. Were there any really big highlights to that, that period of study that made you go, lifting weights is, in Australia, we might say the duck's nuts. Ducks don't have, <laughs> just side note, ducks don't have nuts. But it, but imagine if they did, what a great place to hang out the back in the, in the water. <laughs> um, side note, everyone. Um was there was there anything was there anything that came up along that way doing your masters that you went, geez, lifting weights is a gift to the body. Yeah, I mean, or sorry, it doesn't even have yeah. to be lifting weights in that in, yeah, in alignment yeah, yeah. with strength and conditioning. Yeah, I think um, obviously lifting weights is part of it, but a massive part of the masters course is being able to understand, read, understand, and interpret data and research. So you know, and then understanding the bigger picture in terms of okay, you have. Um, youth development but then you know you have how do you develop speed how do you develop hypertrophy how do you develop all these things and lifting weights is one part of it but one you know in terms of the master's course what i probably learned the most is how to read research and how to actually zoom out of what your potentially your beliefs are and see okay well this study you know someone might claim something that was said in a study but have you read this, the stats on that? Have you read the methods that they used? Um, and are you able to then decipher the important parts and decipher which parts are relevant to you in your environment? Um, and the other thing was, it was hard work. And it's, uh, the undergrad was also hard work, but the masters, that particular masters course, they had a very high standard in terms of, you know, if your work's a minute late, we do redo the module. You know, you wow. do redo the whole thing. Torture discipline then as well, huh? Time management. And it was and it was distance learning too. So that was another shift. You know, we're used to being in class and listening and taking notes. Whereas this was all pretty much self-driven. If you don't put the time aside to do the work, then, you know, you, mm. you're not going to complete. And a lot of people don't complete. They start with the best intentions and then don't finish. Just, just on research. So this morning I was reading a, a research uh, paper on glucosamine and, and it's relationship with ex- life extension i'm going through this whole thing i'm really enjoying this longevity field at the moment and there's this research that just came out recently on glucosamine and the headline of the article which led me to the research was glucosamine uh will have the same effect on extending your life as exercise and i was like come on really what anyway so i i read the article i followed the link to the research um and let's call that nutrition research but it was epidemiological studies mm. so i was like oh okay because I, I was thinking how hey, really mm. not saying that the study's wrong but it basically when you condense it and you look at the lead researcher he said there's enough in this to warrant further research or to right. warrant further further investigation, yeah. yeah investigation um yeah. with the research in strength and conditioning is there are we looking at what well, some of the best papers that that you have looked at and then have influenced the work that you do with whoever it is that you're working, whether it be here at Joint Dynamics or whether it be with you know high school age or whether it be at the Hong Kong Institute of Sport? Um, are there some seminal papers that that have really influenced you? Like when you say that understanding of driving research, is there some that have stood out in your mind and go, that was a that was great research because a lot of it isn't. Let's be honest. Yeah. Um, I went to a conference once and there was these group of people that were talking all about the the best ever core exercise and it was all based on research yeah and it was such a limited field in which that that they were presenting from um what, but is there some any papers that could you comment on on yeah. research in our industry yeah I, I don't have like a, a particular 
one particular paper in mind. Although, you know, as we all do, I have a whole database of yeah. papers. But what I would look at is the hierarchy of papers. So if I'm reading a paper, I'm looking at, well, is it systematic review? Is it peer-reviewed? Which journal is it from? Mm. You know, what are the... You know, if it's a, like a clickbait-type headline, okay, has this been published? And how many how many participants are there? Things like that. Mm. Um, but, that, you know, in, in, in a sports science uh, realm, there's hundreds of thousands of studies in yeah. every part that you can imagine, whether it's rate of force development or best ways to, you know, do hypertrophy training. Or um, I did my dissertation, which got published on the reliability and validity of um, a swimming device that you attach to the back of your goggles and it will count um, stroke rate and stri um, swim stroke length and all, all of this stuff. So, um yeah, it, I, I would look at the, you know, the study you're reading um, and then the hierarchy of that. You know, mm. where does it fit in in that hierarchy? Mm. Um, and like you said, you might read one study and then there's a hundred other studies that it cites that then you go and look into that too, yeah. which is why systematic reviews are great because they do all of that work for you yeah. and summarize the, the key findings. Yeah, those white papers are pretty valuable at the end of it, aren't they? Exactly. Yeah, there's people who, you know, their their full time job is to to read and disseminate this this work. You know, an individual study is great, but then in terms of the bigger picture of an industry like ours, which is huge, mm. and so many different voices claiming so many different things, um, I found that to be the best way. So, this when they compile all the evidence, and they will, you know, they will take out all of the ones that were no good. So they, we we didn't include this study because. The, when they looked into the methods, there was uh, discrepancies there, so that doesn't get counted in those. So it does a lot of the work for you. But wonder if, if we were to go back and revisit the degree that you did at St Mary's and the research that they had you guys analyse and then do your own, of course, I wonder if they'd be updating that research constantly for every new intake. I think so, that'd yeah. Be, so of course someone's the, uh, job, obviously, wouldn't it? Yeah, I mean, yeah, the, that's, you know, the... The course leaders, that's, that's their job to update it every year, you know, when new things come out, um, to then mention those, you know, mm. so, um, but it was a great course and I'm so glad I did it. It took three years, but I thoroughly enjoyed, enjoyed that process and, uh, you know, I learned a lot. So I definitely encourage anyone who's in either obviously physio, but, um, personal trainers as well to go and look at, okay, you know, how is strength conditioning different to what? I do, or, mm. you know, and, and with you, like I've learned a lot from the personal trainers here mm. in terms of not just um, physical performance, but also interaction, how to talk, you know, talk yeah, to people massive, who yeah. aren't, aren't full-time athletes and paid to be there, like you're paid to be there, mm. you know, so all of these, you learn different skills in different areas, um, but I learned a lot from that, that course, and of course the physio degree too, you know, but that's one part, that's, you yeah. know, that's higher education, but then the amount you can't, there's no substitute for actually working with athletes and people. Yeah. Of course. Your own type of research, isn't it? Yeah. Anecdotal. Hey, let's turn the lens. Let's go. Athletic development, predominantly, let's say, uh, for youth. And we can even break that down into certain um, periods of development <clears throat> according to age and physical maturation and mental maturation. Um, yeah. If you would introduce the topic, and I'm going to ask you to, <laughs> what would you say? What would be a lead in on youth athletic development? Some important principles that, that help you guide the decisions that you make, the programming that you're doing? 
Well, yeah. So first of all, you have to under, uh, understand growth and maturation and the stages of those. So um, what is, you know, if you get take a typical athlete or player, or boy or girl, um, say it's in a club, in a football club or a rugby club or whatever it might be, um, what does their journey look like from sometimes it's the age of five and they, you, you know, if you're there long enough, you might work with them until they're an adult. So um, first of all is, you know, understanding of that, the, the uh, growth and maturation. Long-term athlete development is essentially how do we uh, nurture and provide this person or this child or this teenager with all of the different support systems and the different inputs and stimulus that they need to, to be a successful adult athlete. Um, while maintaining the passion to keep doing it as well, isn't it? Yeah, while limiting them dropping out. Yeah. But then also, and a big part is the, the psychosocial part of it as well, their happiness. So while still making it enjoyable and making sure that you're looking after them mentally as well as physically. And I think in the past, you know, we always think about physical development, but more and more that psych- the, the um, psychological element is, you know, so, so important and it's being recognized now as well. So, um, so whichever age group you might be working with, and, you, and often with teams and clubs, you're working with multiple age groups. Mm. So, you know, a 13-year-old boy... You can have 10, 13-year-old boys and they're all in completely different stages. How do you manage that? Like, how, how, do, you, how do you then uh, organize the training and speak to the coaches to make sure that that player is, that individual is being looked after to their best interest? Um, so that's our job as physios, strength conditioning coaches, sports scientists, and everyone else in that support system to ensure that they're getting the best possible environment and development for them to then make it to the first team or if they want to do that as a career mm. then great if they don't or well, they're still in a great position to do whatever else they want to do yeah they have well. the, the, the the skill base the skill set from a movement capacity the kinesthetic intelligence yeah it would apply that to other things so in the early days like when you know when they're uh, they're very young it's yeah movement how do they move how do we teach them to move so that isn't the traditional lifting always that we do maybe now in the gym it's uh can can you squat can you hinge can you lunge but can you do those in a way that uh is appropriate for you at that age so you're laying foundations so that when they do get to these ages where it is really important and you want to put on muscle mass and and when you're going through puberty it's uh obviously the hormones you want to utilize utilize that time uh, to the bed. You can smell the <laughs> testosterone on those boys, okay? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So how do I want to rub up on those kids, mate? Oh, what, yeah. what, what we don't want is them to get there and then you have to teach them everything. You yeah. now have to teach them how to 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 lift and the, you know and um, then they're at a disadvantage then compared to their peers in terms of the other because everyone's everyone's pushing the boundaries in terms of what they can do. Um, so those athletes that you're looking after, you have to make sure that they're able to to keep up and then when they get to these stages where they're training five six times a week that they don't break down and they don't get injured which it's, is it's, obviously it's hard. Actually, when you when you step back because you know this is a, a broad 
conversation at the moment because if you using the Olympics <clears throat> as yep. a point of reference, if you look at the age of the kids that are doing, for example, gymnastics and even even swimming, gymnastics in particular, diving, like they're young kids. Like that that girl from China, like was she twelve in the last Olympics? Like really young. So you know, years ago I dived into the the, the research and there's certain brackets of you know six to nine. There's yeah. a certain you know you want to engage the kids. You, like you said, you want to develop their their fine and gross motor skills, maintain the fun. They don't have the mental maturity to stick and do a one-hour classic yeah. strength yeah. and conditioning workout, and there'd be no reason to do that. Please, mum and dad, don't make kids do that, unless they're a unicorn themselves. Um, and then, you know, from, from 10 to 12, there's different check marks that we want to want to um, go at. But then when you step back, you go, well, this is, this is the, the mean, isn't it? You know, and yeah. then you have to apply that to the sport. You know, a wrestler... Yeah. Is at their best at 30 years of age. Yeah. A diver, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. a highboard diver is at their best at 12 to 15. So you need to be able to apply hey, the, the research and then your, your training modalities to wherever it is that that individual or that team yeah. is heading. It's such a, a vast topic. And then, you know, do you remember Anders Ericsson, the 10,000 hour rule? And everybody jumped yeah. on that. I was like, oh my goodness, we, we've cracked it we know how to make someone who's an expert and yeah. that research was on violinists and the 10,000 hour rule seemed to work and then in Canada they did on swimming and in the UK they did on football and it failed yeah so we're like okay yeah. Yeah, <laughs> okay yeah. so yeah. it didn't translate from violinist to swimming and violinist to yeah. UK and then they went well it needs to be engaged practice so that's yeah. when we need to bring in that element of fun let's say that yeah. element of ongoing engagement and that that rule will work a lot better with some sports than others. If it's yeah. ten thousand hours of darts, you're probably going to get pretty good. As long as you're engaged. Yeah, yeah. yeah. If you're looking at your mate and throwing the dart, and yeah, yeah, yeah. It needs or, to be a, a, an hour that counts, doesn't it? Right. And but in other sports, you know what? Uh, and something that is well documented now is that early sports specialization is not optimal. Yeah. And so you know, if you're a rugby player or football player, go, whatever it is, you need to be learning other skills as well as a child so okay you might be your favorite sport might be soccer football however how are you then developing your you know your coordination that you might get from tennis or the strength that you might get from rock climbing or the um plyometric abilities that you get from volleyball or trampolining right so or you know the life skill that you get from swimming so in, it's perfectly normal and kids will have a favourite sport it's our job to make sure that they're also getting you know they're not specialising in a way that is then going to be detrimental later on and they're not learning other skills because there is you know the one of the examples is Tiger Woods all he ever did was play golf mm. and so then you know now he's a, obviously a fantastic golf player yep. or a golfer that doesn't translate that's, that's not the rule that's kind of the uh that, that's against the you know yeah let's, let's be honest he's the one in a billion isn't he yeah. so I remember he, he, I think he was on that's incredible at two years of age driving a, a golf stick with his dad in the background right so so for kids you know if they do specialise early we find that they break down they lose interest you know they don't learn these other skills that then actually will later on provide them with a rich holistic understanding of movement and mm-hmm. athletic uh, ability so, um, so so how, how do you do that if you're working with you know in a, in a club situation where that you know they are maybe training every day 
Well, the coaches will add in different games. They'll play basketball sometimes. They'll do wrestling sometimes. They'll try and find ways to give them these different uh, skills because they're all skills, whether it's yeah. jumping or, you know, sprinting. They're all skills. Um, so that early sport specialization we need to try and avoid until, you know, at least 13, 14, 15. Yeah, at you, which if stage, you look at it generally, it's around that age, isn't it? They have the physical maturity and then the mental maturity to, to spend more time on tasks. Yeah. And also, as it, and, you know, parents ha- also have their favorite sports. And if you only ever do, you know, ask your or take your child to that sport that you want them to be good at, you have no idea. Maybe they'd be great at something else and mm. like it more. And that's okay. You know, that's often athletes will switch, switch sports. They might be a track athlete and go to rugby sevens. It happens all the time. Yeah. Um, so well, actually, that's a, a great point. You look at, um, for example, UFC, mixed martial arts. They used to, martial artists or those professional fighters used to be fighters. But now it's actually, they're athletes and they put their time into learning to be a better fighter. Like the, the guys that are doing it now are supreme athletes. Yeah. And, yep. and they put their expertise of movement into being a good martial artist, whereas years gone by, it was someone that just always grew up fighting and usually there was a story behind why they were yep. fighting. But yep. it's sort of changed a little bit now, the, the level of athleticism, especially mixed martial arts. Those guys are incredible. Um, remember Conor McGregor doing all the movement training? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, you yeah. know, well, <laughs> what did they do? They say playing touch, but... Yeah. With the guy with the, the man bun in the park. And had but, the foam, they yeah, had the, what's yeah. called, what are they called, noodles? Yeah, which was, he was getting, he was getting training variation and it helped yeah. him move beautifully as well. So Nate Diaz obviously was playing the antagonist, um, but Conor yeah. McGregor was, well, let's say he's certainly the most highest paid, the, the greatest entertainer. Yeah. He was an incredible athlete. Yeah, and, and I've, I don't I haven't seen, I've looked into the research in terms of MMA or UFC Injuries, but in terms of overuse injuries, is something that we need to think about as well. So, yeah. by changing the training stimulus, stimulus, you are also potentially avoiding these overuse injuries. And going back to optimal load, well, what is the optimal load? Yeah. You know, is it if you're training seven times a week, is that okay? Well, maybe, but what what are you doing? Yeah. So it's looking at this, and this is what periodization is, and it happens. Yeah, there we go. Not just you know adults. You periodize the year and the almost the whole development you can catalog and track growth and you know when that child is in their peak height velocity and when they're in their peak height velocity you you may deload them a little bit and give them time to to adapt um so you can track that you know you, you can have predicted adult height as well by taking a formula of the parents average and and some 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 stats from the child and you can predict adult height obviously the older the child the more accurate that is um like a 22 year old for example yeah yeah <laughs> even at 22 the brain's not completely developed yeah that's right that's right there's still a bit of development yeah um but then tracking so so it's, you know if you're working with young athletes it's good to know when they're in their peak height velocity mm. because their bones are growing really fast and all the soft tissue is not yet caught up so and it's really common to see a superstar, baseball or whatever it is, um, and all of a sudden they can't catch a ball, they can't hit the ball, they can't, you know, they can't kick a ball. And why is that? It's, well, their body's changing, they're in a rapid stage of growth, and they've lost their coordination. The neural system has not yet figured out how to th- relearn these skills. 
Yeah, so, where do these extra two centimetres come from? Hang on a minute. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I need to get my neural repatterning down with this extra height. Yeah. So, we spoke about Oscar Schlatter's the other day, didn't we, in the, the team meet, with, and that can occur from rapid... rapid. Did I say that right? I was good. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was good. So what we find as well is so children grow from the bottom up in a way. So the feet, you'll notice the feet will be bigger before the, the legs and will get longer. And we see that as well. So Severs disease we'll see in younger kids. And that's a heel, similar to Osgood's, but in the, on the heel. So it's a um, tendon issue that, that children will uh, feel on the, on the heel. And then, you know, Osgood's is obviously a very common one with that tibial tuberosity of the patella tendon where it attaches. And then teenagers see more like hip and groin issues as all of that starts to develop and grow. So um, knowing what to look out for and what to ask for and um, how you might change that the training mm. to help that kid, um, yeah, that's obviously an Im- important part. Um, you know, let's apply this to a sport in a minute. Um, for years I was going to, up until two years ago when the world shut down, um, I was going to, I was travelling around the region, but then I ended up focusing a lot on China and Ended up doing a lot of work with this sports institute in Beijing, on the outskirts of Beijing, where they the government said, hey, this area now, it was an industrial area, they said, this area now is for sports. Yeah. Um, and they, there was a sports institute I was going to, and there were some other ones that they were developing. The one that I was going to, and I'm like, ah, jeez, I reckon I went about eight times. It was unreal, maybe ten times. It was so good. It was called Gao Xin, and it was an institute, and it was built purely for football and basketball, soccer and basketball. At, at the times that I was going there, it was full, there was no space for basketball, so it just became yeah. 100% on football. And it was the closest thing they could ever come across that would be, I would call it, an athlete factory. Yeah. So these kids would come in and they would live on site, they mm-hmm. would study, they were doing their, their schoolwork on site, and then they would do all their training on site, and then they would eat. So they controlled so many variables. Yeah. I um, mean, the kids were, I think they went in from 9 to 16, and they were learning Spanish because they had relationships with professional football teams in Spain, and they were traveling, and then while I was there, the, the head coach was a guy who was with the South Korean um, team that made it to the semifinals in the World Cup in the football like that. that it, was, it was a combination of government and private, so there was yeah. a lot of money, and it was a beautiful place. Like they had the yeah. recovery room and, and everything, yeah. um, and I did a few things there, but I was running um, courses uh, for trainers and strength and all this sort of stuff. Um, and sometimes I would literally work with the kids, the athletes. Yeah. And, you know, when you, you get asked to do that, and I was in this position, I was like, my goodness, mate. China, the, the strength and conditioning coaches they, they had there were so good. So you go, you make this decision when you're thrown into these areas. I was like, okay, so I'm not going to do traditional strength and development because I bet these guys are better at me than anyway. Yeah. I can't go too crazy, so I need to find somewhere in between um, and I introduced play, so so, yeah. so it was perceive and react. I had the kids pushing up against each other, and then we'd we'd blow a whistle, and they had to go and get the ball, or even reaction games. Uh, and they they really, I got great feedback from it, and yeah. I got to do it again and again. And then also what they did, they they found out this was by their research that in Brazil. Kids are really great at playing soccer. It's football, excuse me. And they do it a lot on the beach. Yeah. So what they did to, to get adequate variability in the, yeah, the kids' yeah. training, because what, what they were concerned about, and they were smart. Like often people were saying, you know, in China they've got such a high number of athletes so they don't care if a kid burns out because they'll get the next person in. That wasn't right. the mentality at all. Oh, it was really refreshing. Um, and so what they did, they 
created a whole new pitch and they brought in sand because in yeah. Brazil, kids that grow up and be great football players play a lot. So they got this adequate or, or another area for variability, training variability and, and developing of skills yep. by, you know what? We're going to be, build a beach here at this Force Institute. It was just yep. so brilliant to see how that was because I, I was going there and you'd see them. It was really structured. Um, yeah. The, the, so I would watch them, them train, and then they'll say, "Andrew, can you please do one tomorrow at six a.m.?" And then I'd start teaching a course at nine a.m. Um, and it was like, and they would all do the same thing. They'd all do the same thing. Yeah, turn. Very, uh, and you can see why it's easy to, to to be impressed by that. Like, if I was the guy putting the money into that institute, I want to see that the guys are that they're responding and they're focused on the task, and you can see that skill development. Yeah. And I come in and I start bringing play, and yeah. f- for periods of time there, it's like. Did they hurting cats? Right. They, did they? Did I'm interested to know. Was that process when you say right? This is the game. Go. Yeah. Did they just look at you like, what do I do? At, at first, but then what happened? Because I would only go on the intermittently. I'd be there for four days, and then I'd yeah. go away for a couple of months, and I'd come back. But what was great? The next time I came back, so I, was, I had them doing these warding drills, but they'll, they'll body on body. Yeah. But they adapted it. But they they had like a a cushion pad. Yeah. So they were yeah. still. You know, like vying for position and using their body to, to, to understand this dynamic environment. Oh, my goodness, James is pushing on my left hip. I need to upregulate in, in a different part of my body. Oh, now he's yeah. shifted to my right hip. So teaching kids to manage their body in those environments because football, yeah. especially in England, where you're from, it's a physical yeah, yeah. sport. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I, was, I brought in games. It was always – I knew – understood the sport and so I brought in games and but I brought in elements of fun like rock, paper, scissors yeah, yeah, and then the yeah. winner would have to chase or, you know, we brought in yeah. just so, novel games that then yeah. they applied, which was great for me to see and great for the, again, like what was happening in China, the change mm. and understanding that they're, they're all interested in long-term development. Yeah, and and the, so the sand part is great that like you're introducing some variability, which is good because we need to you know in terms of adaptation you need different uh, variables in the training and and also then it's not monotonous either there it's mm. a different stimulus um this type of training in a in terms of purely physical development is obviously great everyone's doing you, you know everyone is um i can imagine in a long line and their whistle goes and they squat or they lift or whatever it is um which for some sports works quite well gymnastics and uh, weightlifting, power, like there's certain sports, but we have to be careful that it's not so rigid and structured that you start to then hamper creativity. When the mm. game is about creativity, yeah. and if you if you're unable to be creative and you're always listening to the whistle and and just reacting to what someone's telling you to do, um, that may actually affect the creativity in the game as well. So we have to manage that. Also, it's partly cultural. If you try and do this. In Australia, this kind of setup, it would it be the same, or would be, would kids look you like, um, you know, yeah. they'd be going at different times, they'd yeah. be chatting, and it's a yeah. slightly so it's adapting to the environment that you're in. But it sounds like they were doing good stuff, like they were thinking about, okay, how do I provide a different environment? And I worked with uh, a coach at MK Dons, and he, you know, they had great pitches and great facilities and everything, but once every week or two weeks, he'd find the worst field that you could possibly discover in, a, in the radius and so we're playing there you know and you are it's dust bowl or it's just mud and water it's like what's well, different stimulus they have, to, they have to be able to adapt it's all well and good playing on the snooker pitch type field but what are these kids like when they're on a 
on a hill that's like a 45 degree angle and you know the nets don't work and yeah. you know there's no referee and how do they adapt to that they're so used to everything being prim and proper and it was interesting some some of the best players had the worst games in those environments because they couldn't adapt to yeah. that changing environment that another level of chaos more chaos yeah, yeah. Um, and others were absolutely fine mm. you know often it's the ones who have a kind of relaxed demeanor that they kind of take these different um, and, and in a game like anything can happen you know your sports yeah. boxing yeah. and you like surfing like you can't predict what's going to happen so how do we and this is a way to do it how do we challenge in a way that you know is growing you know the team and the athletes in a different way um, so you know and, and in, in China obviously they're very good at creating athletes but and that creativity side of it is something also that we need to make sure yeah, kids, that we get. Kids need to watch their heroes and play around trying to emulate their heroes. You yeah. know what I mean? I, I, when Imagination. Yeah. 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 For a moment in time, be your favorite athlete, you know, and kids are so good at embodying, you know, when, when they're, they're even younger, they, they, they literally become a superhero. And yeah. my daughter and my son's eyes, when they from that age of four to to eight when they donned those clothes and your daughter will get to it soon when they yeah. put those clothes on or that that Captain America my son was Captain there's nothing you could have told him it was Captain him. America yeah, yeah. it was brilliant yeah. it's beautiful yeah. same with sport they should you know for a period of time you, you pick your favourite yeah. athlete and you become yeah. that person and you pick up on the nuances because watching sport if your kid wants to be good at football, rugby, whatever it is, they should watch it yeah. as well, which is a, a critical part for athletic development, not not just to understand the game, but also to pick a player that they fall in love with for a period of time and then try to emulate those skills yeah. Yeah. on their own in a purely play-based environment where there's yeah. no one blowing a whistle saying, do it again, you know. Yeah. And this is what the best coaches will do. Even if it's in a structured environment, step back and let them explore yeah. in this way. They yeah. have to make mistakes, don't they? Of course. Explore, you know, you, yeah. fall, get up, go again. Of course. Um, the part, well, one issue is, you know, when that kid then becomes 15, 16, and they are the superstar now. They actually are, you know, they're, they're maybe in the first team at 16, 17, and all of a sudden they're still a child in many ways. They're, they're not fully developed. So how do you manage that? And that's hard, you know, yeah. when you get to a certain level. Um, it's difficult to then you have to kind of rein all that back in and remember the fundamentals um, or the 12 year old 13 year old who's winning gold medals at the Olympics you know yeah. that's, that's uh, crazy isn't it you think the pinnacle that, that girl the, the young Chinese athlete the, the diver yep. like there's your Everest at 12 like that is phenomenal isn't it and to have the mental um, capacity to deal with that and the pressure and you know it's, yeah. it's it's hard. Most of us will never, never have to do that. So it's all, and it's all youth development, you know, it's, uh, but certain countries and certain sports will manage it very differently. Yeah. You know, um, Hey, can we do a sidestep for a second? I'm sure you've been asked a thousand times, when should kids start lifting weights? And what's your answer to that? Cause you know, I mean, it's, a, there's an up regulation of the nervous system to pick something up. <clears throat> yeah. Um, so how do you, how do you manage that? And then can you, also play the role of managing a parent's expectation because they're you know i want my kid to be an incredible athlete therefore you know i want them to play a power sport power is mass time acceleration i need you to add mass to their body for a period of time james and then acceleration to develop their power or whatever however it is um 
Can you yeah. break, break that down? And it really doesn't have to be specific sport. Just when do you get a kid into the gym to lift weights? Air quotes from Andrew here. Uh, yeah. But then also, what does that mean to, to lift weights? So can we cheat the system in a, in a way? Yeah, so that, that you know, you mentioned it there, what is lifting weights? Um, you know, my daughter's one. The other day I turned around and she had squatted down and picked up my backpack. So she's lifted, you know, she's lifted a weight. She's exactly, one, yeah. and she's got a perfect squat as babies do because they've got big heads and their center of mass is low, and <laughs> yeah. you know, so the um, squats are beautiful. Yeah, yeah, just keep it just like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, jumping out of a tree, you jump out of a tree is maybe you know, I don't know, six foot, seven foot. The amount of force going through the ankle, knee, and the hip at that time—that's many magnitudes above your. Um, you know, your body weight. Sorry, force is mass times acceleration. I gave an equa- equation for power, sorry. Force is mass times acceleration, isn't it? So, yeah, 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 yeah. The, the mass of the kid falling from yeah, a metre and a half, e- accelerating that, that amount of force measured in newtons is yeah. a lot. Yeah, so if you're squatting, body weight squatting in the gym, it's nowhere near that, mm. you know. If no you're, way. And if you're playing a sport, doesn't any sport say it's volleyball, you're jumping and landing hundreds of times throughout a week. Um, so... I think that's the, like, what is lifting weights? Well, in terms of that structured gym-based weight training, whenever they're uh, physically able to do it, so, and mentally, like, psychologically able to do it. So, as you'll know, you have kids and some um, are more mature than others at different times. Like, we need to, at the you know, young ages, show them what a gym is. So, for instance, in terms of, you can't give a specific age because you might have, a 10 year old who's not just not ready yet they're still uh, very immature and they're still learning the really fundamental parts of movement um, so th- you're not going to put a barbell in their in their hands at that time mm. however you may have a child who moves really well they're you know in terms of their sport they're completely they're physically able to uh, maintain the training that they're doing and you supplement that with um gym-based activities so gym work is just movement you're adding resistance um so that you uh, stimulate some physical development so at the young ages it's just about moving properly it's it you start adding weight later on when they are able to cope with that that loading um so in terms of given a specific age it's as early as possible you want to get them in and teach them how to move because Resistance training is just movement. And the more good movement you do in the gym, the better they're going to be able to do their sport and they're going to develop better as well. But the hard part, and this is why you have coaches, is figuring out, well, which exercises do I do and Mm. why? And what do I do if they can't? How do you regress? How do you progress? Um, It's not a cookie-cutter approach in terms of everyone does the same thing. Mm. But there are fundamental movements that we need to learn how to do. So we need to learn to squat. We need to learn how to hinge. We need to at learn... At the hip. At the hip, yeah. Yep. Sorry, just because you know, sometimes not everyone is into this as much yeah, as you elbow. are. Oh, well, yeah, okay. <laughs> Sorry. Hinge at the hip. Yeah, we need to learn how to rotate and to brace. So golf is a rotation up to a certain point, and then you resist rotation at a certain point as well. So we need both of those skills. Um, and then how do you push? How do you pull? You know, in a, and, and these are all... You know, these all link to um, not just sports, but also what they're going to be doing in the playground, what they're going to be doing 
hopefully at home with their, you know, either their siblings or their parents, if, if they can. Um, so it's preparing them for that. It's, uh, and over time, then you start to give specific training aims. So, you know, at 13 years old, it may be, we need to build some muscle mass. We need to upper body. It's a good time. We're going to put on some muscle mass. That's going to help you play rugby because, you know, rugby is a sport where it helps to have muscle mass. Um, so yeah. And, and I think it's hopefully now, you know, put to bed in terms of it's so well documented that resistance training doesn't have any, if coached in the right way, of course, but generally speaking, doesn't have any negative effects on long-term development. Mums and dads, it doesn't stunt growth. I just oh, want to get that no, out there right now. It <laughs> certainly doesn't do, do that. that. Do you remember that? If, you, if a kid lifts weights too young, they develop their muscles and it will stunt their growth. Emphatically does not happen. Absolutely not. And then, but then you could Actually, say, the opposite. They'll, they'll have stronger bones. Would, anyway. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just, I think if you were to take the exercises we do at the gym and put them on the beach, all of a sudden it loses its formality and now it's just normal movement again. Yeah. Um, so resistance training is just movement. And With force, isn't it? And, and you can upregulate force by moving the body faster or you can upregulate the amount of force the body needs to produce by putting weight in their hands on their back. So essentially, we've boiled it all down. All training we do is force production. Yeah. So we're trying. So we're trying to, by adding some weight, you just have to produce a little bit more force. By jumping, you just have to express that force more quickly. And if we're talking specifically about sport, it's force production and the rate of force production is important. You know, in terms. Now of we're talking power. Empower, yeah. Strength yeah. with a time limit on it, isn't it? Yeah, but in to in order to build power, you need a you need a base of strength. Yeah. You need to be able to move. If you can't move properly, the other things that you see people doing, you you have to build this foundation first. I think you just mapped out a pathway for me as a parent. Teach your kid. I'm paraphrasing you, but I'm doing it in reverse. Um, you just said. I'm going to flip it. You need to teach your kid to move, let's say like an athlete, but you need to teach your kid to move well. And when they move well, you can begin to load them like an athlete and then that will get you the response that you need. And you can't go the other way around. If your kid can't do a squat, then don't put weight on their back, no matter what age they are. No, yeah. Um, No, of course. I mean, if you... If you really zoom in, you may say, well, a goblet squat may help them learn. Yeah, there's other ways. Yeah, that's when a coach comes in. Excuse me. Um, For for instance. But yeah, you're completely right. You need to layer that foundation. And the other thing is with growth is you might have a great, so you you might have a kid who's a great mover, can do everything, is is agile and their single leg, got great balance. Um, You know, they can produce force and they can hop and jump and skip and um, squat and hinge and push and pull and do all this stuff. They hit peak height velocity and now they can't do any of that stuff. They can't squat anymore. They're, they're clumsy and they've lost that ability because their bones have grown mm. and they now can't produce that force. So how do we help them? How do we dial everything back, give them the right exercises to do so that their muscles get strong and their tendons get strong and then build again on top of that? Um, so it's, 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 it's hard and that's why you have coaches. It's difficult yeah. to do it properly. But... Everyone can, you know, in terms of just movement, we can all, all, all kids can do this. PE teachers are great at teaching kids how to, the, those skills in terms of 
um, sports skills, but then also movement skills as well. But then you build on top of that over time. It's an important role that let's say PE teachers or movement coaches drinking it's such an important role we you know we let's step even further back and you say to any parent down there on the street we're, we're sitting about Queens Road Central everyone in Hong Kong I'm sure there's a lot of parents down there and if you walk up to a parent and you say what do you want for your kids if you boil it down they'll just want their kids to be happy and that means yep. that they you know they won't need to be able to engage in life in a meaningful way yeah you the 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 better you can move and navigate your body in space, the more options you have to, let's say, have fun and maintain health. Yep. yep. Um, so yep. Well, one time, sorry, a little side note, but once I was running this course and we, we set out a task, say, okay, what is exercise? Someone from Mars just landed here and you they learned English on the way except there was a blip in the program and the, the word exercise didn't get the definition. So this guy from Mars lands or girl, maybe there was a guy and a girl, and they come up to you and they said hey what is this exercise thing I've heard it's great what is it and we we ended up boiling it down to exercise is movement plus force and then what will dictate the results are those things that we call the acute variables the amount of load that we we use the amount of rest that we have the amount of speed in the movement you know the amount of reps the amount of sets the amount of recovery and then also we can bring in the understanding of vectors a line of force if I put something and you have to pull it, you'll use a different set of muscles as opposed to if you spin around and then you have to push that same weight. So there's vectors yeah. as well. Yeah. I, I, and I found it really helpful because the, the role of a coach is to understand all the smarts under the table. Yeah. Um, yeah. And even t- just that of just understanding, well, what is exercise? And then you go, well, what is force, mass times acceleration? And then you go, well, what is power? And you can break down and that, that that's where the – the study and the understanding makes those decisions that you drive because you said to me, Andrew, in order to develop power, because strength is a, is a component of power, how about you spend a time developing strength first yep. and then once you have the, let's say, maybe bigger muscles, that type of strength, and then maybe the type of strength where the nervous system uses the existing muscle you have even better, yep. and then yep. from there, why don't you add this other component and we can develop power? And that's, that's a really well well used yeah, system and it's and it's brilliant in its simplicity, isn't it? Yeah, and we we got there by going well. What is power? Let's just stop for a second. Well, we, now we know what exercise is. Yeah. So now, what is power? So how we we develop that with safety and get the best result using yeah. your your prescribed optimal loading and rest. Yeah, um, yeah, and I think uh, exercise on you know there's a formal definite definition, but there's also a very subjective personal definition as well. Exercise to me might not be. So to me, exercise might be walking home, but to you, that's not exercise. That's just that's commuting. It doesn't get your heart rate up, and it's fairly easy for you. But for me, maybe that's really really hard to do. So that's yeah. my ex. You know, so there's that that as well. So yeah. I think on a personal note, um, when we're talking, obviously, out you know, in general population, um, don't discount what someone's doing because for them, it may be really hard. Yeah, you know. Um, as long as they start to walk a little bit further next week. Yeah, or, yeah. You know, they, there's a goal. Faster. To, yeah, yeah. Just, and measuring it. Yeah, yeah. Ultimately, walking is living. But for some people, that's that's their exercise, isn't it? Yeah, of course. Yeah. As long as it's progressive. Yeah. Take that to the bank. Hey, I'm the parent. I'm going back to, because we, we talked about a lot of things. But I'm the parent, and I'm like, why would my kid lift weights? Or why would my kid come and work out in the gym? They, they're playing football, rugby, whatever. They love playing football, rugby. I've found that my kid, for some reason, 
is that kid that just wants to get better. It's not, and the parents like, wasn't even me. Sometimes parents will say that yeah. wasn't me. I don't even know where this kid comes from. Yeah, yeah. Um, he or she is very disciplined, and they're at that age. Let's say the kid's thirteen. Yeah, 12, 13, 14. They're at that age and they're saying to me, Mom, Dad, I want to get in the gym because my sporting heroes go in the gym and yeah. there's this other kid in this other team who's going to the gym. I want to put him in the gym. The parent is coming from a position of, am I doing the right thing? Yeah, I don't yeah. want my kid to get hurt, but I know they want to get better. What do you say to that parent? I think edu- formal education is obviously uh, important. So, you know, putting on, like you do here, seminars about these types of things is one way. In conversation, I think you have a conversation with them and ask, well, you know, you said you don't want your child to get hurt. Do you realize that by increasing the ability of the muscle and the tendon to function, they're less likely to get hurt while they're playing the sport? And you do that by them working out with you in the gym is what they'll say. Yeah. Yeah. So again, teaching them how to move, preparing the joints and the muscles for the activity they're doing and stats are always good you know okay yeah. did you realize that this percentage of this age in this sport have acl tears and it was found that part of the reason for that is because of weak hamstrings and weak quad strength and inability to land properly so that that knee position then there's an injury so um breaking it down okay what and then the parent will say and you can coach that and you say of course yeah, yeah. So yeah, my voice is cracking. Do you yeah. hear that? Jumping and landing technique is something that's like it's bread and butter, but mm. it's important. It's forgotten a lot of the time, especially you know, like teams will school teams or whatever it is go warm up. They start playing the sport. Maybe they're not drilling these really. Again, landing is a fundamental fundamental skill. Mm. It's a movement. Some people land really well and some people land terribly and why is that part of it might be biomechanics part of it might be weak muscles or part of it maybe haven't learned the joint positions but we can go through that we have time and it's the right space to do that um if it's from a perception of i just want my child to get better at that sport and they're going to do that by the ten thousand hours of dedicated practice of that sport well then i would say do you want them to run faster do you do you want them to be able to play for longer at a higher intensity well they this type of training will allow them to do that so it transfers you know the exercise jo- sorry i'm going to push you join the dots on this type of training so whatever whatever you whatever you do so so, so for instance, but you just say, said so, run faster so, so run so faster it. okay stronger muscles there we go you can exert more force you you'll be able to run faster and then you said play the game longer so conditioning so um actually in the very young age groups you're not really going to be training that aerobic system too much but as as they get older and move move through their development it becomes really important to have a especially in a sport where you play maybe 90 80 90 minutes um can you maintain and it's not just about lasting the 90 minutes it's about being able to maintain uh high speed intervals for the duration of time and not break down yeah, and yeah, not yeah. make mistakes so you're also not mentally fatigued yeah um if you could do that just by playing the sport, everyone who plays that sport would be at the right level or they could they could just play the sport and then last 90 minutes and do all of these these great things. So the supplementary exercises, so might be, you might say, okay, how does rowing intervals help my child play volleyball? They don't seem to match, but there's a correspondence there because you're training the aerobic system. Yeah, the energy system, yeah. Yeah, so, so okay, you're not jumping and landing, 
Or maybe volleyball is a bad example, but... No, but yeah. actually it can be because if, let's step back, but it, you look at the whole athlete and let's say that they have volleyball three, four times a week and you go, I bet they're jumping and landing a thousand times a week. It's you as a strength and conditioning coach, one of the things you're saying is, you know what, that, that optimal prescribed loading, I yeah. don't think I'm going to get them to jump and land when they're with me. Do we need to so, do that? Yeah, yeah, exactly. That Probably has not. to be part of the, the analysis, doesn't it? Yeah. So what are they, yeah, of course, what are they doing now? And also, like, you should know how, and it depends on what level, of course, but how many times they're jumping and landing on average. Mm. Right. You look at professional teams now with the, the amount of data they're collecting that, are, that they is on every, the athletes, everything. it's phenomenal. But at the youth level, maybe it's as simple as, uh, you know, an RPE, a rate of perceived exertion after every session. Yeah. So, it was it a seven? And usually I'd take out seven, like they can't put seven, it's either a six, because everyone just <laughs> yeah. put seven. So, like, you can't say seven, it's the only, because, you know, you just get hundreds of sevens. Yeah. But is it a six or is it an eight? Like, how hard was it? Yeah. And then, training, you know, it might be rowing machine, it could be whatever. You will then recover faster, so then you can repeat the next, you can then... Um, the next session you are able to to train at a higher level or um, it'll be more beneficial because you're better recovered because your aerobic system works better. That, that's actually beautiful, isn't it? So you're going to, quote-unquote, the gym to recover better so you can train harder again sooner. Yeah, so that consistency. So yeah. consistency is everything. If yeah. you're not, like, if you miss training sessions, you miss gym sessions, then you're not going to... You're not going to develop as well as you would do if you didn't miss them. But it's so important because, and we see it all the time. Everyone has the best intentions to start, but then all of a sudden it peters out and things happen. Um, but if you were to have just done half of the initial amount, but did it for three, four times as long, you'd be in a much better place. And it's the same with, so why, why is injury prevention important? Well, if you're injured, you can't play. If you're injured, you're with me every day and you're not playing so injury some some players or athletes or kids or whoever it is might come to the gym just so they don't get injured and that's a valid reason if yeah you, absolutely if you don't like the gym and it but it's something you have to do it's to continue to loving yeah. the thing you do then that's okay um but then it's also our job as coaches and trainers and physios to make sure that the sessions are enjoyable and people are leaving with a smile on their face and part of that is that ability to coach people. It's almost a two-pronged approach, isn't it? Education, like you just said, let the kid, the athlete know, hey, do you know if you lift weights, you will increase the amount of force or the amount of tolerance that you have in your muscles and connective tissue. Therefore, when you get yourself in an awkward position and there's an amount of force going through your body, your body can take more force. So your likelihood of injury is decreased. Yeah. So sometimes you get compliance and buy-in via a little bit of education yeah. but then always when we depending with the, the age of the child there needs to be an element of fun or of course, yeah. engagement and that's where the coach building rapport and understanding the kid yeah and all the team is really important yeah and you know talking about the the camp or the uh, institute that you're at in china is you know um in that really rigid sense uh, uh, structure are those athletes really really happy and like leaving with smiles on their faces and getting people like you in i'd say yes but there's a lot of places where that's probably not not the case you know in terms of this um so that's our job to do that we need to make sure that and and also not just we're talking about at, at the young age all kids are athletes because we don't know yet we got to prove it to are. them haven't we and like so in a school for instance so 
I worked in a school for three years, and it's not just about the kids who are really good. Of course, they're included, but how do we make sure? So, 150 people turn up for basketball um, tryouts, for instance. Well, how do we maintain that? How do we those kids who get on the team and given everyone something to do? So, not everyone can play in the, the first mm. team or the A team, but give the, all everyone an option to participate in that sport, mm. and then make sure that when they're in there, they don't drop out the next year. So. Um, yeah, that's actually a really important point because you look at the, the bigger team sports, let's say rugby, 15 players on a field, and kids at a young age, the, the superstars, the, the kids who are more developed and better athletes will get the ball a lot, will get involved in the game a lot, whereas the kids who are on the fringe, they, they, they won't get the experience they need. So sometimes with those big team sports, we need yeah. to break it down to, to small teams so everybody's playing all the time, meaning four on three yeah, rugby, yeah. for example. Yeah. So the kid that wouldn't get the ball when it's 15 kids on each side yeah. actually has to get the ball in order to develop him because he may develop next year to being in the starting team. Yeah. But if you only keep it 15 aside at training, then some kids are naturally going to get more time on ball because they love it and they train yeah, there. Yeah, They're yeah. better. And, you know, the nature of kids is, well, let's get the ball to Susanna or let's yeah, get the ball yeah. to Jerry because yeah. he's, he's better at rugby. And rugby such a sport where, at you know, again – girls mature slightly younger 11 years for girls say 13 14 for boys there's a massive difference in some of those players and it's the same in football like and of course the early developers are going to dominate those sports recently there's been some tournaments done um and they're biobanding tournaments so the teams are not chronologically aged they're biologically aged so you may have a team of 12, 13, there may be a youngest in a team mm. is 11 and the oldest is 15, but they're biologically the same age mm. because tracking growth and maturation. And the team they're playing. And their body weight is of a similar nature as well. Huh? Yeah, 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 yeah. So body weight is part of that. Um, and the, the team they're playing is the same. So mm. the biological age of everyone playing is the same. The chronological age is completely different. Mm. This is hard to do in something like a school. However, being able to play up or play down is important, yeah. but then it's educating the 15-year-old who's playing with 12-year-olds, this is the reason why, and that can be hard. Yeah. You know, it's easy to play up because you feel good, yeah. but if you're the one playing down, yeah, the 15 you may feel kid. bad about yourself, yeah. Yeah. but biobanding, it doesn't, you know, there's all, that. so that's that's the thing that I think you need to have be able to staff it and manage it, but it's a great it's idea. It's really important, isn't it? But, um, one of my mates, so I played rugby league, and one of my mates was a legend, Hudson's, Hudson Smith. He played for the Balmain Tigers, and when he left, he was the third longest player behind, I think it was Paul Searin and Benny, who played for Australia. These guys were legends. Hudson played for Balmain, then he went over to the UK, and he played for Bradford Bulls and Salford Reds. He was an incredible athlete. And now in Australia, um, he's involved in this program. So what happens, you sort of said it, the kids that develop early, they might get the, in the representative team, so they'll get access to the really good coaches, and therefore their trajectory to yeah. be a good athlete and have love yeah. in the game. Whereas the kids who aren't, they seem to miss out. And in Australia, what's happening, they're dropping off and not playing sport. And yeah. Australia, we're so competitive. We are trying our best to win the obesity epidemic for kids and we're up the top. Yeah. So, that you know, Sports Australia has said, this is a problem. We, yeah. we have to create camps because, you know, we create camps for the, the gifted players. Let's call them air quotes. Gifted, yeah. The kids yeah. that have spent more time who have got better coaching. But now what they're doing and what my mate Hudson's involved in 
He's, and so they've taken players who were at the top who were playing professional rugby league. Yeah. So they've got a name and the kids will come, oh my goodness, that's Hudson. Yeah, yeah. Um, but he's not working with the best players. He's actually working with a tier two and tier three. Yeah. And they're creating camps yeah. for these kids yeah, so that, correct. A, they stay engaged, they get yeah. better coaching, that's, and they won't hurt themselves when they do play the superstars. That You know, yeah. a lot of those Islander kids that are coming to Australia are big, strong kids. Yeah, yeah, so they're yeah. teaching these kids skills that they wouldn't get because they don't get in the representative teams and they don't get in those special camps. And it's a really yeah. great initiative. Yeah, sounds, um, sounds great. Yeah, that's, that's a great thing about sports. Undoubtedly, sports is so good for our, for our kids. Yeah, we have to be patient with late developers because until they've gone through that peak height velocity and they've gone through their puberty and, matri- and they're, they've now got their adult stature, you don't know how they're going to compare to these early developers. You mm-hmm. know, So I think clubs are better now at being patient um, with athletes. I think in the past it was very much a, you know, he or she is small, they get released, but actually they just needed to wait a bit longer. Yeah, but, but they needed someone to, to shine a light on them so yeah. they stay engaged as well, which is yeah. where they're at now, which I think is really great. But this is the great thing about sports science and about research and you know the the profession moving forward is that now we understand this and we know and we can we can help the sports coaches understand that this is what's happening like if they Mm want to know i've been working with this player for this long and now he can't do anything i taught him well actually it might be because of this and we need to be careful of this and that and the rest of it and educating so i think having an understanding and and just you know, in terms of research, things moving forward, and it's not always perfect. It's messy. It's a messy. Yeah. It's a messy game, and you yeah. there's a whatever your bias is, you'll be able to find studies that say mm. that that is the best way to go. But being able to zoom out and be like, actually, I thought about other things as well. I think it's quite that. That's obviously important. But with with kids, I mean, um, it, it's great to see things like this, these initiatives happening, and hopefully they continue and get bigger. Yeah, because yeah. ultimately we want our kids to play sport, to, to have fun, to learn potential leadership skills, communication skills, learn how to lose. Hopefully they yeah. don't lose more than they win in a perfect world. You know always I mean? lose but, more than you win. Yeah, but, <laughs> but they need to learn that, to lose. Remember participation medals, you know, it's, it's one of those conversations that comes up a lot. Like if my kid was not very good and was getting participation medals, I'm sure that would be a highlight for them. So I think that there's a place to say, well, then that's, a good thing but then yeah. you know the other ones oh you just turn up and you get an award so we're, we're yeah. building kids self-esteem in a false way I, I still don't know what what is best did you have a comment on that i know it's a bit of a side i think for me it's not about winning or losing uh and especially in so academy level the score actually doesn't matter at all um but it is it does to the kids because i've seen that that yeah so that they're going to tell you what we won afterwards right but did that child or that team did they reach their potential in that game yeah so um so if, say for instance a, a game there's a game and one team loses 5-0 but they had 30 shots on goal and the keeper saved 25 of them hmm. that child should leave that game feeling really good about himself because yeah. he's had a great game he's reached he's pushing the boundary of his potential or her potential um so should they go home sad because they lost and and also maybe the team that won five zero. There's one player on that team who had five penalties and missed all of them. So mm. have they got nothing to learn from that game because they won. Mm. So it's in athletics, 
Okay, you may do long jump and you come last, but you PB'd. So yeah. even though you came last, you still PB'd, you improved. It's an individual thing. And, you know, if, and so there is always something to take away from it. That's also you the role may, of a coach. You may players, win, but you're a national, you're, you're, I don't know, in some high school tournament, you're a national level uh, athlete and, you know, you're on your way to going to the Olympics you win that tournament are you that happy that you won that tournament or that you know you jumped the furthest or through the furthest or whatever it might be mm-hmm. in boxing you know in at what point do you look at it as a success or a failure and i think that's personal to those mm-hmm. individuals like if you did not reach your potential then why you know and how can you improve obviously there's a team element to it as well but you have to i think also look individually in terms of and, and like you said if we lose or, or you win and you attack the score does matter to the kids of course mm-hmm. but I think it's our job to take away some of the significance because well you're going to lose at some point so you yeah you win today but there'll be some team when you lose and we need to be mm-hmm. able to structurally go through that and think about how we improve and how we how we reach potential. That's, I think that's, that's, and it, it's brilliant the work they're doing in sports psychology. Sometimes if you win, okay, you, you're allowed to celebrate, but don't forget what you had to do to get that win. So celebrate for a period of time, have a great time, you celebrate, but on Monday we're back to work. Yeah. So I'm going to let, go crazy, celebrate, yeah, yeah, you deserve yeah. it because you did the work. The only reason why you won is because you did the work and then sometimes I, I know with my kids are so in that they lose, I'm like, well, the, the person that, beat you on this example do you think that they've been training more than you you don't it's fine I just say my yeah. kids do swimming tournaments um, once one time with my daughter I'm like well you didn't win that's that's fine but do you think you won because that? do you think that that person that beat you won because they're in the swimming club and you're not in the swimming club you, yeah. so you know yeah. what I mean if you want to win you increase the likelihood of winning by having engaged practice more. But if you yeah. don't want to do that, then that's fine. But you yeah. did great. Yeah. And there's also different elements. It's like swimming is a very time-oriented sport. Like yeah. you get this time and that's how good you are. However, at a youth level, it's, okay, well, last time you swam 200-meter uh, freestyle, what was your time? And what yeah. was your time this time? Did you improve? Did you not improve? Okay, you improved. That's great. Let's look at your stroke. Like video the stroke. Oh, look, your stroke's improved. Okay, you got a worse time, but actually your stroke has improved. So you're developing your stroke. You're not used to it mm-hmm. yet. And over time, your time will improve as well. So yeah. um, just having a deeper understanding of why that result, and it's hard for kids, right? But that's the thing. Our job is to then explain it to them like, okay, you lost the race, but you swam it two seconds faster than you did last month. So that's great. Or well, like you said, conversely, your time was not as good as previously, but we're working on changing your stroke efficiency and your stroke was beautiful. With a bit more practice, your times will start to come down to where they were and beyond. Exactly. So I think to zoom in and just look at any result, and that's why I think in academies and things, that don't really the result doesn't really matter. There are things that matter, of course. How did you conduct yourself? How are we, you know, in terms of a game like rugby, how many um, tackles did you make mm. oh you made a, you made 30 tackles you lost but okay you you did great and the technique of those is really good um, you know this kind of thing you just breaking said it, it down you almost said it innocuously how did you conduct yourself that's that's why another reason my sport is so great isn't it did you behave you lost how did you take it 
you know, there's always those opportunities for, for especially youth to yeah. see how you conducted yourself in the face of adversity. And that is such a gift. Yeah. And it, obviously kids aren't going to behave the way that we would like them to all the time. That's great. But there's a, you... there's a lesson to be learned from that as well. Yeah, when they don't behave well, talk, you know, talk about yeah. it. Why did, you, why did you conduct yourself in that way? At the end of the game, why didn't you shake hands? I was upset. Okay, well, why are we, you know, breaking it down? How do we do better in this way? Did, is that going to help you moving forward? Or would it help you to go through it systematically, think yeah. at what point could I have done better and then move on? And being in sport, you lose way more than you win. Being able to go through it, understand, and then th- put it back to the back of your mind is really important because yeah. then you take it into the next training session. Yeah. And now your consistency is down because you're thinking about something that happened before. Whereas now we're training to improve that, you're still thinking about it. So being yeah. able to segment it, segment it, segmentalize it and move on, I think is really important. Like golf. Like yeah. You have a really bad shot. Is that gonna? Is that the whole game? Are you gonna be thinking about? Of course, they're pros at it because yeah. they do it so often that they don't do it anymore. But as a kid, you have to you have to make those mistakes, mm. um, but then not worry about them too much. I think that one thing you said a minute ago. You know, when being around kids' sports and having two kids, when you said that the kid that was so upset that he didn't shake hands with the other team, sometimes as coaches. The, the person, the coach, or even the parent will go, that was inexcusable. You, mm. But you need to step back on, on the way that you've been sort of framing this and go, well, hang on, obviously it meant that much to that kid that they are upset. And that's the hardest thing to coach. Yeah. Passion and desire, yeah. that's the hardest thing to coach. So to be able to reframe that and go, okay, it's great that it means so much to you. I, and yeah. I have to respect you for that. That's incredible son, daughter, athlete, that it means so much to you that you're that brokenhearted, but you still need to be able to play respect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's still an opportunity to to praise the kid and make them feel good about themselves, but then there's that learning opportunity that you can present as opposed to you didn't behave in a way and the kid just shuts down or that you know they, they don't yeah. associate. So we need to be careful as parents and coaches how we approach in particular. That, that was a great example. Yeah, well, I think any kind of – I mean, the, for me, the best coaches are the ones who – they don't yell. They don't. They're never really angry. They're trying to coach, you know. Um, and you'll see bad examples of coaches where they're screaming at kids. Um, and what, as a coach, are you then um, showing that athletes is the way to behave? You know, it's not like that. And in this instance, is that the first time it's happened, or has it happened multiple times? Yeah. And if it's happened multiple times, well, then maybe there's another way we can deal with that. Um, if it's the first time. Understand why they're upset or what happened. And kids, like their brains aren't developed. Their their yeah. frontal lobes are not yeah. fully functioned. Well, they're like, 24. We just established that. Yeah, so, of course, they're not going to be fully functioning holistic thinkers who know how to conduct themselves in every moment. But how are they going to learn if they don't go yeah. through that process? Um, but the same with the gym. Like, okay, we, you know, we have this training target or, you know, we want to, say they're, I don't know, whatever age, 16, and we want to lift this weight, and you fail, okay, it's all right. We're just not ready that yet. And not being distraught about that, it carries over to everything. Mm. And I think in terms of conduct and discipline, the gym's a great way to learn that because it's structured. It's an environment where you're meeting a lot of people and talking to a lot of people. You have to tidy up after yourself. Mm. There's a certain amount of time management that you need to have and 
processes that you need to go through. So it's a great way to learn these skills too, as well as the, the physical ones. So I'm, I'm a big gym, gym fan. Me too. Okay, <laughs> let, let's follow. Do you know we've been going for over an hour, James? This conversation is flown by. Um, top three reasons that you would give to any kid, parent, coach, why the kids should get in the gym. Uh, first reason, um, as as you mentioned it before, longevity. So learning how to move is a life skill in mm. my in you know in my point of view. That's a form of that's a you know this IQ is such a narrow axis of intelligence. There's so many you know, and it's been documented by that guy from Harvard, Howard Gardner, and multiple intelligences. But kinesthetic intelligence is so important. Yeah, body awareness. Yeah, yeah, like, um, and it carries over. Like you're in the gym. Okay, you're running down a hill. You're not thinking about what your quads are doing, but you can self-organize to, to do that. And it's, um, you know, by coming in the gym and learning how to move, you also help all the other areas of your life. It's not, you know, from a, from a sporting lens, I would say you come to the gym to, to, so that there's a carryover into your sport. So you are better at the sport that you love and you're less likely to get injured. However, it's bigger than that because by learning how to move, now, actually, your quality of life goes up. You know, you're. So I'm. I'm. I'm kind of. I'll give three, but. I, know, I would say of, what you said three times. That was beautiful. I would just say that three times. Even though I want you to say the other two, but that yeah. was poignant. Yeah. I'm signing my kid up for the gym now. Says the world out there. <laughs> Thank you, James Butterfield, the unicorn. Sorry, go <laughs> yeah. Um, the gym is also a sport as well. So we talk yeah, about. Yeah, and CrossFit. We, well, not yeah. They, sorry, they, they've created a, they've made fitness a sport. Yeah, weightlifting, powerlifting, yeah. they're sports. Um, kettlebell is a sport. Mm. So, in addition to improving at your sport, some people don't like team sports. Some people don't really like individual sports either. They don't like golf or tennis, but they come in the gym and it's like, oh, this is my sport. This mm. is what I like to do. Me personally, I like weightlifting. Mm. So, I grew up playing other sports, but now that's what I like to do. So, that is my sport. So. Um, although it is a place where you develop these physical qualities and you know social qualities to to carry over into your sport, it also can just be something that you learn to love to do on its own. You know, without it doesn't need to be another reason to do it. Um, that maybe you know for kids is 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 where that fosters and grows. Um, and then the other thing would be you know kids go to school; they need they learn their whole. Life is about developing themselves, and obviously school is part of that. Well, we know that exercising helps school. It helps the brain, the yeah, class. absolutely. So by coming here, it's going to carry over not only into their physical life outside, but also their studies. Um, so I think looking, you know, in terms of get your kid in the gym, you're gonna, they're gonna, if it's done properly, be better at their sport and less likely to get injured. They might learn to love exercise, which is a life skill in itself. Like we all have to exercise 30 minutes a day for the rest of our lives. So you may as well learn a way that you like to do so that you can carry that over into adulthood. And the last thing is because it carries over, it helps you sleep better. You're going to eat better. You're going to be able to listen more in school because you're exercising properly. So take that to the bank yeah. or the gym, I should have said. Hey, mate, that's enough, isn't it? That, that We could keep talking for another hour. Maybe we should do a part this two. It's a big topic. So yeah, yeah, it is a big topic, so it's really important. I appreciate your input on that. Um, where could I find you? So by the time this goes, when are you moving to Dubai? 
Damn you, G boy, lucky. Nine to August. So nine to August. We leave Hong Kong at the start of June. And if if I'm listening to this and I wanted to get in contact with you because you've left Joint Dynamics, we're heartbroken. Yeah. Um, how would I find you? Uh, I, uh, Instagram JB Strength Physio. JB Strength Physio. Yep. James Butterfield is your name, and you yeah. physio, and you've done strength. JB strength. strength Physio. Yep. Yep. That's it. Um, yeah, that would be the place. So. Direct message on there. I'm pretty. I try. I'm trying to get better at being more active on there and mm. putting out some content and things. So I'm going to continue doing that. Certainly uh, got so much to share, mate. When you look at your, your backgrounds, what your your study, the academia that you've put yourself through, and then to work the Hong Kong Institute of Sport with the best athletes. It's certainly in this area. Um, super valuable for anyone that wants to get hold of you. I'm sure. Yeah, and I love to talk to people. So happy to. Perfect. All right, mate. Thanks for coming in. That was Good. great. Hour and 20 minutes later. Is that what it was? Yeah. Are we still going? We're, we're going to finish right now. Oh, okay. <laughs> There's a, a moment of behind the, the curtains, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for hanging out with James and I. I'm going to wind this up right now. Uh, if you're still here, that is. Thanks for hanging out with us. I'll be back in two weeks with another guest. And I'd just like to say again, thank you, James, for hanging out with us. And, mate, we wish you all the best in Dubai. Thank you.